Welcome everyone. Firf and I could not be more excited to be coming to you in real time from the ATS International Conference in Washington, DC. It's currently Monday afternoon, May 22nd, and we're joined by some amazing guests today to talk about some of the highlights of the conference. Firf, I'm excited to be with you. I know you're virtual, but we have our guests here in person and we miss you tremendously, but are you ready for today? Yeah, I'm super excited to be recording today. I feel like ATS is like the Christmas of pulmonary and critical care. I've just been getting a ton of texts and messages about all the things going on. I'm very sad that I couldn't make it in person to the conference this year, but my goal is this is the last ATS I'll ever miss. But we are very excited to be joined by three amazing guests today to talk about some of the highlights of the conference and coming to you direct from DC. So first, let's meet our guest. Deborah Boyer is a pediatric pulmonologist at Nationwide Children's Hospital and has devoted much of her career to her patients and numerous trainees. Deborah has been extensively involved with the ATS as a prior chair of the Education Committee, the Assembly on Pediatrics Planning Committee, and is currently on the Board of Directors and the current co-chair of the ATS International Conference Committee. Deborah, I imagine you're extremely busy this week and weekend, so it's truly an honor to have you on the show today, and thanks for making the time to come on. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, so great to have you join us, Deborah. And next, we have a Home Peeps OG returning to the show, Molly Hayes. Molly's an assistant professor of medicine at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Harvard Medical School, where she's also the director of the MICU at BIDMC and the director of external education at the Carl J. Shapiro Institute for Education and Research. Molly's been extensively involved with ATS as well and has served on the education committee currently as a vice chair and chairs the core curriculum for the conference and as a chair for the subcommittee on education and critical care for the critical care assemblies program programming committee and in addition to all of that molly's also found time to be involved in the section on medical education for the last several years and we're excited to have you back joining full peeps today molly thanks so much for having me i'm really excited to be here and super excited to be with deb and juliana yeah. And bringing us to, to Juliana, last but not least, is Juliana Ferreira. Juliana is an associate professor of pulmonary and critical care medicine at the University of Sao Paulo Medical School in Brazil, and her work focuses on mechanical ventilation. She has made a significant impact on global health initiatives and serves as the co-director of the MECOR program in Latin America for ATS. Juliana has also been extremely involved with AATS Critical Care Assembly Program Committee and was just awarded the inaugural Philip Hopewell Prize for her commitment to research in low and middle income countries. Congratulations, Juliana. It's wonderful. And thank you for coming on Poem Peeps today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. Perfect. And before we get started, just as a brief reminder, the podcast isn't meant to be used for specific medical advice and the opinions expressed today are our own and don't necessarily reflect the policies of our respective employers. And Ferf, I can't wait for us to get started with our first question. And I'll start. I think conferences, as you said, are so amazing for so many reasons. And the energy here in D.C. in the last few days has just been fantastic. And just really running into friends and colleagues you haven't seen in so long. And I told Molly, just talking to her with even five to ten minutes the other day can really spark some great ideas. And I know a lot of us will be following up. What I particularly love about ATS is the variety of sessions that target pulmonary critical care as well as sleep medicine, while incorporating both pediatric and adult populations. So organizing a five-day conference to hit on all these areas can certainly seem daunting. So Deborah, in your, in your role as a co-chair for the ATS International Conference Committee, can you share your approach to scheduling sessions to make sure all attendees will have something to bookmark on their app? 
Sure. It's what I remember when I was a fellow coming to my, actually a resident coming to my first conference, the variety of stuff. And I think the what it comes down to is that the International Conference Committee is made up of representatives from all the assemblies and all the program committees. And for that reason, the programming that comes through that committee is represents what the membership wants. After we do all that, we look at the program that's put together and make sure that there aren't gaps out there that we need to fill in. And then we always have a few extra slots, chairs, supposing that we can fill things in if there are gaps. What that turns into is a conference that just has a huge variety of topics and hopefully something that everybody can enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. There's certainly something for everybody. Monty mentioned it, but approaching these conferences when it's your first time or early on in your career can be daunting and there's so much that you want to see. And I always remember some specific advice that people gave me. One mentor of mine always recommended going to the poster sessions that you were interested in because it's a treasure trove of upcoming data and projects, even if they're not the top build highlight. So little tips like that have always stuck in my mind. Molly, I'm wondering if you have any general advice about how trainees or junior faculty should approach a conference like this, especially if it's their first time attending? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think the best piece of advice I have is to meet with your mentor and plan it out before you come. I think if you just show up here and try to get to everything, you'll be overwhelmed and you won't get to anything because you'll be running around. And in full disclosure, I did that my very first ATS when I was a resident. So take a few minutes to like sit with your mentor or the person who's the senior author on your poster and chat with them about what you should do and ask them who you should meet. Also really use this time for networking. And I think another piece of advice is don't be afraid to go up and talk to people. People really love that here. And I remember being very nervous to do that as a resident and fellow and even a very junior attending, but it's really a great conference. Everyone's approachable and people want you to talk to them and they want to talk about their science. The other thing that ATS does, which is great on the app and on the website, is they have these roadmaps for early career trainees and junior faculty, which I think is great. It helps you navigate the conference and also gives you suggestions of sessions that you should go to. And then there are even roadmaps for specific interests, like an early roadmap or sorry, a roadmap for educators as well. So I think check out the app, check out the website and talk to your mentors. Yeah, totally. And I feel like networking can feel like a very daunting task, but it is true. Everybody's there just to meet people and it can be a great way just to spark conversations, just to walk up to somebody who's talking about something you're interested in. So it's great advice. Anytime I'm at the conference, I feel like I'm always building my schedule, like you said, and I think the apps now really make building a personal schedule a lot easier and there's a lot of guidance around this. No matter what, though, there's always going to be something that I can't go to because it interferes. One thing that I've always put on a highlight is a clinical year in reviews, just because they're a big summation of so many great topics. And Juliana, I know that you are one of the chairs for the clinical year in reviews this year. I was wondering if you could share some of the sessions that will be great for attendees to go see, and especially some that are coming up Tuesday and Wednesday, since they still have time to get to the conference in the coming days. Yeah, I agree. The clinical year review is a highlight of the conference. It's I'm, I was very happy to be a chair because it's a session that I always like to attend. We tend to, we're always focused on our own areas of research. So for me, medical education, mechanical ventilation. So it's great to be up to date with lung cancer or ARDS and everything that was presented. We still have two days. We have asthma, sarcoidosis, sepsis, sleep length transplant, medical education, health disparities, and cystic fibrosis to come. It has been very well attended. The, we're using the app for the MOC credit, so that's also one of the reasons people attend that session, to be up to date and get credit. So it's been fantastic so far. 
I'll just add a plug for that too. I love the clinical year in review, especially for me. I really only clinically do critical care now. So I like to go and catch up and relearn sleep and pulmonary and even hear about like the new treatments that I'm maybe missing or as not up to date on the literature as I should be because my practice is solely critical care now. Yeah, that's so awesome. I know our fellows today, we're all going to the clinical or the critical care clinical year in review and we're talking about how great it was. So I'm hoping that they can make Tuesday and Wednesday sessions. And I know for those unable to go to the sessions, ATS also provides a recap of the clinical year in review and has some of the main articles that were discussed that's available on the website. So I think also a great resource for people to be able to use. And I know we're now on Monday, as I said, but Sunday morning, I heard some great chatter in the convention center that Sunday's morning session started with a really great one that was focusing on how science promotes health equity by decreasing disparities. And I think a really great topic that deserves attention. Deborah, I'm wondering though, for those that may not have been able to attend the session, what was your thought in planning that specific session to start Sunday morning? And what major points would you like to share for those listening today? Sure. With all of the keynotes in this conference, we've really tried to leverage being in Washington, D.C., right? And to think about all the different advocacy and areas that we're involved in as scientists that that also we can have an impact on in terms of advocacy. So I think this session, it was present, it was phenomenal. It was presented by Eliseo Perez Estable, who is at the NIH. And he really just simplified for me a lot of things that I maybe hadn't really thought about at this level, but thinking about how diseases and their presentations vary or not, how testing that we've done can vary significantly in different racial and ethnic groups and not necessarily always in the ways that one might expect. So giving us some, making us all think about understanding why these things might happen, but importantly too, working very hard to try to standardize the measurement tools of how we all look at these things so that we can study them on an equal level. And I think that for me was a big take home lesson. And then lastly, I think gave some resources for folks that are interested, especially for younger, uh, younger folks out there, resources to study health equity in diseases and thinking about, again, how they can do it and approach it in a more systematic way. So I thought it was phenomenal. Thanks for sharing that for everyone listening today. I think it's so important that they realize how they have to fundamentally readdress their understanding of things if they want to change the landscape of how testing and disparities are appearing within medicine today. And so it's great to have a session that clearly highlights that. Molly, I want to turn to some of the stuff that you've been working on for this year. I know you had a new initiative incorporating some sessions to highlight the best case reports from last year and all the great work that trainees, fellows, young faculty have done and have submitted to the conference. So can you share more about this and why attendees should make sure they don't miss those sessions? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So I can't take all the credit. I will say this was the vision of Terry Huff, who was in charge of the critical care assembly a few years ago, and Annette Espar, Liz Wilcox, and Lauren Ferrente started this subcommittee on education and critical care, which I've been lucky to chair since it was created. And it's through the programming committee for the assembly on critical care. And really the goal was to try to improve the quality of case reports that get submitted. And we know that a lot of trainees submit case reports as a way to come to the conference. So to really be able to help them out and to encourage people to submit more and also make sure that we're highlighting these really great case reports. So new last year was actually a poster discussion session on case reports, which went really well. And this year, there's actually four poster discussion sessions on case reports, which we're really excited about. There are great sessions. There was one already on neurocritical care. There's another coming up on Wednesday on cardiac and vascular critical care case reports that Christina is actually facilitating, which will be a really great session. 
and then the other thing we've been doing is really trying to theme the case reports in the poster hall so that if you're interested in a specific disease entity or topic, you can go and actually look at all the case reports on that. And that's pretty new. In the past, it was big picture themes like lumping all the pulmonary case reports or the sepsis case reports. But for example, Liz Wilcox this year actually has one session of just HLH cases, which is really cool. So that's really exciting. I'm looking forward to that. And that session is tomorrow. Scott Stevens and Liz Wilcox will be facilitating that. And that will be a great one to check out. So really great for our trainees, really great for clinicians. I, as Mickey director, go into those sessions and looking at sort of unique presentations of common diseases or common issues that we deal with in the ICU or in the pulmonary clinic, or even looking at some rare presentations of things. So really cool. I definitely recommend people check it out. A whole session on HLH. I know that's going to spark some great questions and discussions, I'm sure. That's some really cool initiatives that I know that have been started, and as you said, Molly, from a lot of different people within the ATS community. One other thing I wanted to highlight is I think we think of the typical as starting on Saturday, ending on Wednesday, but I wanted to also just highlight the postgraduate courses prior to the official start of the conference that can cover really a variety of topics. And I was fortunate to be able to attend the Teaching Skills for Busy Clinicians course on Saturday that both Molly, Juliana, and Jeremy Richards had planned. And Julian, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about postgrad courses in general, specifically for those people that may not be familiar with them and why attendees should go if they're able to. Yeah, so the postgraduate courses happen Friday and Saturday. They are typically one day long. Some of them are maybe two days long. And I think they're really cool, really interesting for trainees in particular, but not only trainees, because they give you a, an in-depth overview of a topic. So in the one that we did, it was medical education, spend the whole day discussing that topic. And it's very active. Usually we have hands-on approaches during those. Some of the PG courses are completely hands-on, like training in ultrasound. And some are blended with didactic and hands-on components. But it's a great opportunity to interact. I think the experience for the attendee is really different because it's very interactive. Because it's a smaller group and there's a lot of time for questions, we split up in small groups and discuss all the topics. So it's a great opportunity to get into a specific topic of your liking. And there's several topics and different perspectives from trainees and more expert people in the sessions. We had people, international attendees in our session. So I thought it was a great experience, a great way of spending a Saturday working and learning. Yeah, that was so great. And I know that there are additional costs to attend these courses, but I think so fantastic to really get, I think they were the best educators in pulmonary critical care that were there on Saturday. And I know one of the one of the topics that Molly said was preventing knowledge decay going forward. So Julianne, I'm going to ask you, what are three takeaways that you had from Saturday for those listening today? I think the biggest one is that most clinicians and clinical researchers have teaching roles, but they have not received formal training to teach. And that kind of reduces your confidence when you do have to teach. So the good news is there are evidence-based strategies to enhance learning for your learners, for trainees. And we shared many of those strategies on Saturday. There are structures to, for example, to offer feedback. And adult learning is really different from what we remember from when we were kids learning. So for adults, the, what 
learning is enhanced when you're actively involved and when what you're learning is, seems like it has a practical applic application for you right away. So we try to make it all the tips are like something you could do next week on your when you're teaching. So the I guess the takeaways were those three. That's great. And we hope that when someone picks up their phone and hits play on a podcast, that's active involvement. Who knows? <laughs> in addition to the great sessions that you all participated in or chairing, there are, of course, so many other sessions discussing a range of topics from clinical to research, every topic in pulmonary critical care and sleep medicine and for pediatric and adult patients. So I'm curious if in between the amazing sessions you've been running and participating in, have you heard or seen anything else so far at the conference that's particularly captured your attention and that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, Deborah, I think we'll start with you. Yeah, sure. I'll highlight a couple of the sessions that I was able to attend and peek in on because to me, that's, I think, the exciting part. We had a really great conversation this morning at the keynote talking about climate change and health. And really, to me, it was thinking about everything that we do that and that we can do that can have an impact. So even just talking about the use of the inhalers that we use and thinking about switching to DPIs as a way to, to have a lesser impact on the environment. I think that was fascinating. I jumped from that to the clinical trial session where you know, they presented just fascinating new clinical trials that are literally just being released on PAH, COPD and asthma. And then I also got to attend a, and as a pediatric pulmonologist, this was super fascinating, the chest ATS combined session on bronchiectasis, which is a two-part series that we're going to have a second part at the chest meeting in Hawaii in October. So those were just things to me that really captured my attention that I was really enjoyed. I liked the clinical trials one as well. That was, that I thought was great. I'll plug another, the, the core curriculum, I know I'm plugging it because I'm involved in it, but it's from the education committee led by Tisha Wong. But every year we decide what are some big picture topics in critical care, in adult pulmonary, in pediatric pulmonary, and in sleep that we want to make sure that we're teaching everyone. And as I mentioned earlier, I like to go to the pulm and sleep ones because I don't do that every day in my daily, in my practice. So those sessions have been great. They just finished up the critical care one. There's going to be sleep this afternoon, pulmonaries on Wednesday. And for those that need it, it's a really great way to get MOC and CME. So for clinicians who are coming to the conference to get those credits, they're really great sessions and all audience response, so lots of great active learning. The other things that I think are fun are the networking events. I went to the early career networking event the other day, which was great to meet a lot of people from where I did my residency, where I did my fellowship, and then former residents at BIDMC, as well as just getting introduced to lots of trainees from other people's programs who are maybe looking for jobs or who are interested in hearing more about what you do. So that was a lot of fun. And this afternoon, there will be another networking event for medical educators, which I think will be great. And it's fun to grab a drink and catch up with people and then talk to some trainees and be able to help them out. I went to a session about achieving health equity in low and middle income countries in critical care. So that session was so inspiring. Many presentations from people from all over the world sharing innovative experiences on how to improve outcomes in critical care around the globe. So I thought that one was fantastic. I agree. I like to go to networking events. I would encourage people to come by the International Participant Center which is close to the super center networking center. It's, all, it, it's not just for international. We're hanging in there. We're happy to have everyone. And uh, it's a good place to, to meet friends. And there's also, there's a MECOR session, a networking event there tomorrow. So Tuesday at 4 p.m. It's open for everyone. If you want to know more about the ATS MECOR program, which is a capacity building 
training program come by the International Participant Center tomorrow at four. That's great. So many opportunities. And I know these networking events are easy for those that are extroverted, but I know there's some introverted people who are like, for the next five days, I'm going to be an extroverted introvert just to do this. But it's so easy. And I think as you, as everyone said, everyone is so welcoming and receptive to meeting new people and easy to talk about their research or things that they have in common. And you've had so many great sessions thus far. And I know that there's some other opportunities. We alluded to some of the networking events and Molly, you mentioned the, the early career networking event as well, but I know that there's other sessions available, specifically some boot camps that are really highlighted by fellows as well as residents. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about those. Sure. Yeah. So those are actually before the conference like officially starts. So they take place during the time that the postgrad courses take place on the Friday and Saturday before the conference really kicks off. But there's a resident boot camp called RBC that has tons of great educators who are like so enthusiastic and super involved in teaching residents who are going into pulmonary critical care, sort of everything they need to know, the crash course, and lots of hands-on sessions there. Someone was running an ECMO circuit and really teaching the residents how to go through the circuit, how to troubleshoot issues on the circuit. There is hands-on ultrasound, hands-on procedural training. I walked by and saw people putting in endobronchial blockers as senior residents, so that was pretty cool. And then there's also a Fellows Track Symposium, which has a lot of hands-on sessions as well, but also really great talks from speakers around the country. And then the early career bootcamp or early faculty bootcamp, which was started a few years ago, is also a really great session every year with lots of talks on negotiating your first job and thinking about leadership and thinking about grants and It's just a really nice way to step away from your institution and get some mentorship from people who you don't really interact with every day. And the stakes are a little bit lower because they're not people that you're asking for a job or they're not people who are evaluating you. So I think it's really great that the ATS does this because as an educator, I feel like we as a community do a bad job in helping our trainees get jobs and think about their early careers. So I love that the ATS really spends a lot of energy thinking about that and helping our sort of senior fellows and junior faculty. That's great, Molly. And certainly if you're listening and that sounds interesting and you didn't make it this year, you could look out for next year and probably make some of these events. Now, I know we've talked a lot about networking, but I totally agree. And actually we had a, an ATS RCMB episode a couple weeks back and Jonathan Alder shared how he actually got a job because of his ATS poster session and networking. So <laughs> just a plug that it really can help. On that note, Deborah, I know another thing that you were talking about doing this week was with the ATS is a networking center learning event. And so I'm hoping you could share more about this, about who can attend and what topics are usually covered in these types of sessions. Sure. As you mentioned, in the networking center, there it's a networking super center. I've nicknamed it the super duper center, but it, <laughs> in the Center for Career Development as one of the learning center presentations, I'm going to, with some colleagues, going to be talking about pediatric pulmonology, my first job, what should I do? Um, and it's it has pediatric pulmonary in the title, but I think these topics are pertinent to anybody going from training into their faculty life. And so I think we're going to, we usually do it as a, we have a little bit of sort of rapid fire presentations, but then break up into small groups and give folks a chance to ask questions. But the main topics we'll cover are how to think about growing and getting involved in a new clinical program. How do you get involved outside of your institution? One of the things is getting engaged in what's going on at your place, but also thinking about how you can network and really get involved in other activities such as the ATS. Third thing is how to get started with research, if that's something that you're interested in. 
And then the last topic is getting involved in anything else, right? How do you get involved in advocacy, being an educator, um, other areas like that? So it's really meant to be a very interactive session. And again, we love, I love Pete's pulmonologist, but we're also happy to invite anybody. And that's happening on Tuesday at one o'clock. Maybe I'll come to that. <laughs> I know. I'm glad you're you're blending in the adult side as well, <laughs> yeah. Deborah. And I'll be, and actually, Deborah, and I, we were talking right before we started too that for a lot of people, this is for a lot of trainees and early faculty, this is their first ETS that they've been to in person. So getting to hear these topics and interact and ask questions in real time, I think, is fantastic. And thank y'all for doing that. I think another fantastic initiative that the ATS has been working on is MECOR, which is Methods and Epidemiologic Clinical and Operations Research Program. And Julianne, I know that you have a great involvement with this program and specifically with your work from Latin America. And I'm wondering if you could tell us about MECOR in general, how attendees can learn about it during the conference, as well as how they can participate once the conference is over. Sure. So the MECOR program has been running for 30 years now. HES started it in Latin America, and now it runs in six areas or countries around the globe, focusing on low and middle income countries. We have trained more than 1,800 researchers around the globe with that program. I was a student, then became faculty, and now I'm director for the course in Latin America. So in many courses, it really builds capacity because we were able to go through the program and actually now participate in, as faculty or leaders. If you want to get involved, if you're living in one of the areas for lower middle income countries, you want to be a trainee in that program, you can, there's an application. It's, everything is on ATS's website, but you can also come to the International Participant Center at any time, and especially tomorrow or Tuesday at 4 p.m., where we're going to have a networking event and learn about the project, learn about when the courses, because the courses happen in different times of the year, depending on the region. And we are also always looking for faculty for those courses. So, so, so if you're more experienced and interested in becoming faculty in one of the MECOR courses, come talk to us at the International Participant Center or check the ATS's website to see more details. Wow, the scope of that is incredible. 1,800 researchers, you just think about all the impact that those people have had. That's great to hear about. This has been an unbelievably fantastic time together. We really thank you all for your time and coming on the show. We know that ATS doesn't close at the end of the conference and that there's year-round activities going on with the society. So for our last question, we wanted one suggestion for you all that our listeners should do after ATS 2023 is over and what should they be doing during the year, planning for next year or to get involved otherwise. Deborah, maybe we can start with you. Yeah, sure. So for me, it's at the end of ATS 2023, you should start thinking about ATS 2024. As I mentioned earlier, the content here comes mostly from the members. So the call for input, meaning submitting things for next year, will be released pretty soon after we all leave here on Wednesday. So think about what you want to do. It doesn't matter if you're junior, senior, still in training. There are lots of opportunities to submit things and to present. So that would be my biggest piece of advice. Great. Juliana? I agree. I think getting involved and if I'm speaking to international participants, I think for me, it was a little intimidating in the beginning. I didn't know how I could participate. So you can, as Molly said, everyone is willing to talk. So you can come to us or go to your assembly chairs or assembly program committee chairs, talk to them. If you have an idea, if you want to participate and get involved in those, I agree that it's great to get involved early 
especially because we need to plan a lot. If you're traveling from another country, you need to plan ahead. It's a good idea to, to start thinking about ATS from next year right now. Yeah, I think my tip is the same, that it feels like it sneaks up on you every year, but the call for content really comes like next week. And I think things are due like end of June usually. Yeah, correct. So really trying to think about submitting something and it doesn't matter who you are, like submit. If it doesn't get accepted, that's okay. Refine it and submit it again. The next year you'll get some feedback on it. It's also another great way to network to say, hey, I want to submit this symposium. I'm going to reach out to this expert in it and work with this person to lead it. And I think it's a really great strategy for networking, especially for those that maybe are a little more introverted and don't want to just go up and chat with people, but shoot them an email and ask them to turn a session with you, which I think is great. The other thing, I'll just put a little tip in, I think personally, for me, I have a lot of discussions with people. I get really excited about projects and papers, and then I'm flying back Tuesday and we'll be working in the ICU Wednesday and just forget everything. So I try to make a little time and space, I'm going to do in the airport tomorrow, of a little ATS to-do list to email this person to follow up on this idea for a paper and reach out to a trainee that I said I would connect with another person. So my ATS to-do list, if you will, and try to get that done so that I don't just forget all the wonderful things that happened over the last few days and jump back right back into the ICU. I love that tip. I'm going to take that. Okay. <laughs> if I know Molly, like I think I do, that to-do list is probably <laughs> 90 <laughs> items long <laughs> with lots of great projects. No, that's a great tip. Awesome. This has been such a fantastic last 30 minutes together. For anyone listening today, if you see something great at the conference over the next few days, definitely tag ATS 2023 and make sure you tag us at Home Peeps as well so that we can amplify what it just the, the conference in general. Hope to see many of you over the next two days in DC. And just thank you again for our guests for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. This episode was produced and edited by myself and Christina Montemayor. The music's original music by Eric Rogers. And we'll have another episode from ATS tomorrow. So we'll see you then.